0: Welcome, everyone, to episode six, season one of our Superior Sales Disruption podcast, which is brought to you by our media partner Retail World, Australia's premier publication for the grocery and FMCG industry. As will be the case throughout, I am joined by my comrade, Mr. Mark Trulson. Mark, how are you today, mate?
1: I'm fantastic, Jamie, and I'm uh, really looking forward to our interview with Caroline with you. The fact that Caroline started in the dark side of marketing and is now one of the leading sales practitioners in the country, speaks volumes to her her outstanding capabilities. What are you looking forward to?
0: Mate, look, uh, I've I've seen Caroline come through. Uh, obviously, the corporate ladder. Um, she's a very charismatic lady. She's really uh, uh, an amazing champion for the women in women in convenience, but also women in industry. And um, you know, I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about her background and where, where it all started. And um, yeah, you know, to, and to hear some of what she sees for the future. So, you know, really looking forward to it, mate.
1: So, without further ado, Caroline Wait.
0: Good afternoon. It gives me great pleasure to uh, welcome Caroline Waite, uh, the Sales Director at Suntory, Freecore Suntory. So uh, thank you for having us this afternoon. Welcome.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: And uh, we've got our remote hero down in Melbourne. Mark, uh, how are we today,
1: champ? I'm um, fantastic. Really looking forward to having a good chat with Caroline. And uh, before we start, Jamie and I probably, uh, in, as per the last couple of podcasts, we love a story. And with all good stories, uh, it should always have a great beginning. So, Carolyn, can you just tell our listeners where you grew up, and, and maybe where you went to school, and some of the other things you were doing when you were young?
2: Sure. Um, I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney, uh, salt in the hair and uh, sand in the toes, and that is still very much my life uh, today. Um, I I I grew up um, sort of, you know, really great stable family and my parents are still together, one brother, um, and now my husband and I live literally five doors uh, down from my <laughs> parents. I never thought I'd say that. Uh, oh. We've got a, uh, got a two and a half year old of our own, we're bringing up the same way, so it's a, it's a pretty, pretty lucky start in life that's, uh, that's put us in good stead.
0: And growing up uh, with the parents down the road, so you never thought you'd say that, but uh, it's probably still good to have babysitters close by and, and stuff like <laughs> very that. Much,
2: so. Very much, very we've, much. We've tried to move quite far away from them numerous times, but they keep drawing us back. So uh, yeah, it's good times.
0: And uh, so you know, in terms of your career, what, uh, what brought you to the FMCG industry? Where did that start and you know, how, how did that, uh, how'd that come about for you? And
2: well i I started in a fairly traditional way i suppose as a as a graduate um, at Bayer Healthcare um, in the consumer division and um, was was very lucky I think there was thousands of applicants and and very lucky to to get an opportunity to be one of the graduates um, that got accepted into the business and also, I think um, more more luck stayed with me there that they transitioned quite quickly after I joined uh, to merge together with Roche, so that moved me off the graduate program very quickly and within a couple of months and, and into a permanent position. And it kind of all started there, um, and still to this day is a, a very fond memory of my time there
0: and that was out of the pinball office uh, back then uh, <laughs>
2: they 're still there I think still, yeah they
0: are indeed so bayer uh, i 'll give bayer a plug uh, i 've had a lot to do with Bayer over the years and uh, uh, Ken and a few of the guys who I know, you know, you know Ken quite well, and uh, we launched the up or the twist and twist and go, yeah, the, yeah. the the Barocca drops in the, the bottle. So that was one of our uh, uh, journeys with them for about ten years. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, good company, great company,
2: great company, and very very good people. Ken is actually still one of my my mentors today, and, and was one of my early mentors when I was a graduate at at, at, um, at Bayer. So yeah, very lucky to have good people at such a good place.
1: Absolutely. Lovely. Uh, one of the things I was fascinated with, Caroline, is that I sort of went from w- what was considered, I moved to the dark side being marketing, from sales to marketing. It seems like you started on the dark side marketing and came to the, the light side of sales. How did that sort of transition take place? <laughs> I,
2: I'm, I'm not sure the marketers would say sales is the light side. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look, it, it really, it happened through... Really get great conversations with with um, my mentors and and at the time was actually the CEO um, i I love marketing I still consider myself a, a marketer by trade um, but I mean really marketing is just about trying to get an amazing concept in the hands of a consumer and sales is not that different I think they're just at a different stage in the process um, but why I moved from marketing to sales was My favourite bit of of marketing was the final concept test when you got it in the hands of a customer and they told you whether they loved it or not, whether they were going to take it. And it felt like the real reality check, I think, for concepts you sit around a room and, yes, they're going to love it in pink or purple or it's, you know, be better with a pop top or whatnot. But it really doesn't matter if the customer doesn't like it at the end. And my passion and energy for that side of the sale um, kind of eventually led to... Uh, career development chats it, it being very much prompted that I'm on the wrong side of the fence and I should go to sales. And now that I'm here, I, I feel like it's home. I, I love it, and it is definitely my favorite side of the coin. Although I do have a soft spot for marketing.
0: See, Mark, I always told you sales was the light, mate. No, this is not this <laughs> I know,
1: I know. I went to marketing, so I've sort of I see the other side. But um, just on that, one of one of the core tenets that Jamie and I talk about for the personal disruption space is those who are disruptors often, you know, take that step back so they can grow faster forward. Was that one of the considerations you had at that time that, you know, we joke about sales and marketing and marketing, you know, is often seen as the the cushy area where, you know, did you sort of think, you know, for me to grow forward or did you speak with your mentors to say, for me to grow forward, I may have to step back to to make that leap?
2: A hundred percent the case. Uh, It was one of the reasons that I didn't move a few years before was really um, being so worried about the ladder um, in a mm. career path, and um, you know, if I spent time in sales, that would be time I was missing, and I'd be out of the race, sort of thing. I don't know who I thought I was racing <laughs> against, but um, yeah, I think breadth became something I wanted more than pace. Um, after kind of being exposed to some really inspirational people, I, I, I really noticed that. The people I was inspired by were the ones that had great stories and could tell um, diverse experiences from diverse companies or diverse functions Um, and, you know, that quickly became more of a desire to me than kind of the race to the top. But interestingly now looking back, um, the people I know who've been really successful without exception have had either diverse company and industry experience or diverse um, functional experience so i think you the one trek ladder is a real myth i haven't seen anyone do a really great job of that and and have a long-term career
0: yeah no, and that's what we're hearing from a lot of the people that we have uh, uh have spoken to through the podcast that uh you know it's not necessary. you do have to take your time and you do need mm. to get that breadth across a business. So you get all understandings of the business to be able to then move in the right directions, which then, you know, then fall into what do you love most and what it becomes, you becomes passionate to you. So, and I think that probably leads us to, you know, one of the questions I always love to ask is, you know, individual purpose and in your mantra. So, uh, you know, what are some of the things that really, you know, underpin your thoughts of, of, of your mantra and your why about what you do and what you do every day as, you know, sales director here at uh, Fruit Course on Tory?
2: Mm. Um, I, I believe we're here to make a difference and not to save the world, but to actually make an impact, to make something yeah. different tomorrow than it was before um, it was the day before. So um, for me, my purpose is about changing, um, having an influence, you know, creating some course of change because of your actions or your perspective um and that's that's really why I do what I do and it helps me to really define what roles I'm in and um, what experiences I have because if I'm not in a position where I can make some change then you know I don't kind of find the time to have the value for it so um yeah making an impact is a really big part of my why um the other is is people I'm um, embarrassingly social <laughs> to the point where I can't bear my own company. Um, I, I get energy off other people. Um, I hope I give energy to other people. Um, I just, I think magic happens when human beings get together and that is my purpose and, and my why. And, and what I've really loved about my last few roles is that real leadership where you get an opportunity to, my whole job is just about people and getting great people motivated about doing great things it's it's kind of you you get paid to do what you love it's it's a dream
1: so does that purpose extend to your philosophy on building and managing you know your sales team and and can you take us a little bit further into you know what what are some ways that that comes to life for you in a a day-to-day sense managing your sales team
2: very much the way i lead is is about understanding that Sales only exist because you want people to talk to to be selling to people. You know, we're human beings at the end of the day, trying to um, transact uh, where we can see value on either side. So, um, yes, it is a fundamental part of my um, the way I lead my team is is firstly selecting great people that care about making a difference. Um, I I think people that want to go the extra mile always, always. Deliver a better result than the, than the smartest person in the room or the person with the best skill set. It's it's that commitment and the passion and the hustle. I often refer to it. You know, hustle is everything. Um, so you know, picking picking a team of people who are really motivated behind the same thing is is important at the start, um, and then making sure that everything you do in your um, your way of being is about the people on the other side, i.e., the customer. Um, so um, my my leadership style is about trying to bring the customer as much into the business as possible. Um, trying to motivate my team and also give them the liberty to service the customer however the customer needs needs servicing, um, and to ask more questions than we pitch. You know, you can only solve a problem when you know what that problem is, and you know that takes asking more questions than talking. Uh, I was actually with a, a young salesperson last week and first meeting and he, bless him, he came so prepared. He had four PowerPoint decks ready for this first meeting. <laughs> I said, well, why don't we just, why don't we just put those aside for now? And if we need them, we can bring them out, but why don't we just start with some questions? And I said, oh, okay, sure. No problems. And so he uh, started with some fabulous open questions and we had the richest conversation. We actually ended up doing a deal in the very first meeting about something we never would have pitched um, in that first call because we learned something about that customer because they had a burning platform that day that we were in a position to help solve. Um, So it was a a really good example of, of, you know, customer first, ask questions. We're all human beings at the end of the day
0: yeah that's uh, so true sometimes you 've got to put all that aside and and actually just start asking some some basic questions and understand the fundamentals of why you know they what they need and what they 're after and and uh, on the right day it can be quite easy mm. but we do find the younger ones today they 're all all in the numbers they 're all into big data and they've got all these massive amount whereas just storytelling and and understanding having a conversation is really really key. I just want to quickly ask you uh, in terms of Picking good people is is really difficult. Um, you know, I, I used to have this feeling that um, you know, my partner uh, in, in the film marketing, Phil, uh, he used to always want to employ people with twenty year backgrounds in the industry, and and I used to find, look, you know, sometimes coming with a new set of eyes and a different may not have been industry bred for such a long period of time. How do you? pick the right people and 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 more importantly what's what's the thing you do look for in some of the people that you employ at the senior levels that you, you know, you're employing them here
2: mm. well I've made a lot of mistakes um certainly don't we have the magic all, formula we all do that we all do that um I think trying to get away from the formalities has worked for yes. me recently so um you know a casual drink or a coffee or um you know let's go for a walk and have a chat um, and try to take it off topic a little bit just so you can get a sense of the human being underneath the the fit for role, um, I think is somewhere where it allows your intuition to kind of take over the common sense. Um, and that's been really successful for me. Um, I think in this modern age where social media, LinkedIn, you know, it, it's actually really easy to get a couple of reference points for people as well and not the reference they write on the paper, but, you yeah. know, the real kind of, oh, yes, I worked with that person, et cetera. So I will often um, ask around, you know, have you guys heard of this person? And that's been really helpful as well. Um, I think what I look for is is that passion. Um, and I use the word hustle um, on purpose, because I think um, what I love about hustle as a word is that it's kind of off the grid. You often you know, have to not do what's on the brief but just find a different way. You have to problem solve and use your natural ability to process information to to work on on stuff. So, you know, hearing stories from them about how they've hustled for something is usually a a deal clincher for me when it comes to candidates.
0: You know a bit about hustle, don't we, Mark, Uh, from (laughs) being back on the streets? (laughs)
1: Uh, we used to, I mean, as I mentioned probably before, you know, one of the first times we met was hustling with, with the national accounts, uh, trying to launch this uh, product that no one had ever heard of V. So uh, uh, now, when we, <laughs> uh, now we see that the behemoth that it's become, uh, uh, you know, I look back at those days with a lot of fondness.
2: Yeah, we uh, we we do too. I think that's part of the V story really, is that um, you know, we, we've still got a couple of reps today who remember having V cases in the back of their car and literally sort of, you know, driving down the street street trying to explain to people what an energy drink was. So um, very much part of our DNA that we try and protect uh, that entrepreneurial mindset.
1: So that was definitely a turning point for Jamie and I. What have been some of the turning points for you?
2: I think the disappointments is, is when I look back at the turning points, you know, you sort of i don't I don't remember the successes being so defining, but when you've been let down or you've let yourself down or you've made a mistake you know, they're so formative in my mind um I, one I remember particularly well was um maybe when ego was getting ahead of of talent in my <laughs> earlier yeah. days and, um I was actually at bayer and and uh was was being transferred overseas for a fabulous opportunity I was so excited about it i um, was sort of well into the interview process my husband had resigned um I'd had a farewell party and I didn't get the job (laughs) Uh, and you know that just that taught me a lot of things firstly never ever ever say something's done until there's a signature on a piece of paper um but also you know you've just got to believe in it and keep fighting for it until the end because I think I kind of you know that confidence overtook the the reality and I I didn't um, show them that I wanted it enough in the end because I thought they already had it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember that so, um, so fondly as a, as a real formative moment. Um, probably some other, you know, my early marketing days, project managing, there's so many things that go wrong when you're managing a project. Mm-hmm. The timeline doesn't happen. You know, we had one particular MPD launch where um, the product was being made in the US. Um, And for those who don't know, Frugal, pretty much everything is made in New Zealand. So this was one of the rare times where we uh, had an international manufacturer and all the instructions for manufacture were sent over um, to this co-packer that we were using um, and they produced it, shipped it um, and they took the temperature um, directions Uh, but as fahrenheit rather than as celsius and the liquid that was meant to go into the can the very next day we're on a super tight production schedule was actually solid frozen because (laughs) they'd frozen it based on the instructions we'd sent and uh, it was just another again another lesson in uh, problem solving how we hustled our way out of that and, and worked with the suppliers but also about Making sure that the other end really understands, you know, getting them to play back what you think they understand from what you've told them. Um, Yeah, yeah, they're they're two I remember quite fondly.
0: I, um, I'd have to, uh, because you probably won't call it out, but obviously you've been a very uh, dominant person and and lady in the industry and convenience, particularly. uh, You've led that charter. You've really championed. The women's movement and senior leaders with uh, in corporates and FMCG in the FMCG industry. So, uh, being a high D, as I would call you, <laughs> right? Um, um, you, you don't. We don't tend to stop and uh, um, enjoy the successes as much as we probably look back on some of those not so successful times. But. When you do get to look back on that, you know what, maybe your career may have gone in a completely different direction to where you've ended up and what you're doing now versus if you'd actually did get that job and that farewell was yeah. f- for you and you'd gone a, you know, a- abroad. So it's, it's amazing how one door can close and, and others open. So
2: Absolutely, and that was definitely the case. So, so this job was in Switzerland and because I'd already had the party, I had to go overseas. <laughs> so I, my husband <laughs> and I actually moved to Hong Kong um, as a direct result of that disappointment, Um, met some of our very best friends to this day, had an amazing career um, experience, both good and bad. I I went into banking for a little while, which convinced me that that would never be my path. But I learned a lot while I was there working for HSBC and um, really, I think, um, pushed me much more down the sales path and the marketing path. So, you're exactly right that that disappointment led to eventual success 100 percent um and i think you know remembering that in that moment i think a lot of people you know take the hits really heavy these days and i think you've just got to remember that it's such a big life over so many years yes it is short but it's also really long um and something that is the worst situation today you won't even remember it tomorrow you know
1: yeah definitely agree with that uh, so what was it, what was it about Frucor that sort of drew you towards the uh, the magic of uh, carbonated
2: drinks? <laughs> I'll give you the honest answer. Um, okay. I was living in Hong Kong. My mother-in-law got really sick and we needed to come home and a recruiter called. Um, I didn't know anything about Frucor at the time. I just needed a job to get home. So um, I thought to myself, I'll just, go there until I get a real job, but loved mm-hmm. kind of the idea of, of um, blue chip companies before then. So um, Frucault sounded really small and kind of not my cup of tea. So um, I took the job just because it was a job. Um, but what's kept me here for now seven years um, is that, it, that real hungry spirit we have. Um, it's, it's a, a business where you feel like it's your own. You can really change things make big decisions and change the path of what happens next. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities since I've been here, um, been given chances to really step outside my comfort zone. I mean, to move from marketing to sales, to lead a channel when I'd never worked in the channel for a minute before, um, you know, to manage teams when I'd never managed people before. I've been given a lot of opportunity um, while I've been here, that's that's kept me for a very long time, and I absolutely love the business. It's just, it's like family, you know. That it, it's really, really good people here, um, and we take care of each other, but we have a really good time trying to win every single day. So. Um, yeah, seven years on, I'm now a, a loyalist. <laughs> that's
0: that's the hustle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, see, it's it the is the hustle. So, uh, and you can and you can feel it. You can, you know, I've been here a number of times, and uh, you can feel it in the corridors. You can see it in, you know, the, just the, the, the atmosphere of the people that work here. It is a, it is a, even though it's a big business, it's still a very, you know, everyone's still helping each other and works together very closely. It's like a family. You can tell it's a family style of uh, connection there. So, um, Carolina, tell us a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the parts of of brand disruption that you've been on in your journey now here at uh, Fruit Course Centauri. And, you know, what are some of the stories that you can share with the listeners that are about brand disruption? Because I think that's one of the things you guys do really, really well. So. Sure. Yeah.
2: Um, I think probably the one that I remember uh, quite vividly was when we moved V from uh, soft drinks into uh, V ice coffee. Um, so kind of trying to transition a very strongly held uh, brand proposition across the segment. Um, at the time, energy drinks and uh, flavoured milks or iced coffee segment were the two fastest growing uh, segments. And both serve the need of function um, so we we took the v brand and, and moved into the iced coffee segment to to really try and stretch um how people facilitated that need for energy mm. um, super exciting project very risky i think a lot of people internally um thought it, it just couldn't be done uh, but definitely you know v can't go there and it'll feel like a fizzy milk and, and all that sort of thing Um, But what we, where that really became exciting is once we started engaging a couple of customers and we actually identified a partnership with 7-Eleven at the time to be our launch partner for that. And they were so excited and really got behind what we were trying to do with the concept. Um, And together we we launched this amazing once-off that probably won't be repeated again um, opportunity where we did an exclusive partnership, which has got um, pros and cons for sure. Um, but you know, did that did that launch together with that partner, um, and really broke the mold as to whatever's been done before. Um, so it was it was new to the iced coffee segment because we added a lot of value in by bringing more function than had been previously offered there. Um, we shook up the energy drink segment, I suppose, by trying to expand it beyond um, soft drink. And from a retail execution perspective, we really shook up that. Um, interruption so we took the whole forecourt over for a month um we really invested in sampling so pretty much everyone who came into 7-eleven for the first month had such an opportunity to purchase the product that it really kind of shook up what execution looked like as well Mm -hmm. and it was an incredible success now in the long run the product um has settled so Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of wasn't the massive success story it was at launch Um, But as a result of that, I think we developed really new ways of working with our retail partners Um, and we also internally realised that actually the V brand was not a soft drink brand at all actually. It was about energy delivery and that it could be whatever you want it to be. Um, So raised a lot of questions internally around kind of um, brand stretch and that sort of thing. Um, So it was a, it was a great project, really good partnership. I think the downside of doing anything exclusive is how you manage that with other customers. And that was a really big part of the learning for us too. Um, Transparency was my um, number one learning and would be my advice to anyone wanting to do something like that in part in the future, Um, engage your other customers early, you know, give them the, uh, you're going to give someone bad news. Give it quickly because it does not get any better with time. Um, mm. So you know, being really on the front foot and talking to customers right up front made a big difference as opposed to sort of trying to hide behind it. So
1: fascinated um, with your portfolio approach because you, you mentioned that V was seen to be more than just a soft drink. Yet when you think about the real estate of say a Seven Eleven and it has say nine doors, you are competing against you know, Coca Cola, Schweppes, Pepsi, Red Bull for share of space in that nine door. Um, how do you take that battle to you know to a Coca Cola or some of the big players when I'm assuming you don't necessarily have the resources or the budget to have that fight?
2: Oh, I think you can if you're selective. So you know, we we don't ever profess to be. Um, as a resource staff as somewhere like a, co- a Coca-Cola. But when it comes to a specific objective, then we will match, you know. So if it comes to a, a planogram, for example, you know, we will invest all our resources and time around making sure that we represent and show up just as well as they would um, in those circumstances. So I think you can compete if you prioritise and just go after a couple of key areas where you really want to make a difference. Um, but I think the biggest thing that um, we like to think we do, we do different is we really do start with the customer first. So we always come with a category based recommendation because ultimately if the retailer is not going to make more money, you can get a win once, but you'll never get it again. Yep. Um, but, you know, offering a recommendation that is for the best interest of that customer um, that is going to see them sell more will obviously see you sell more. So starting that way around with the conversation gets us a foot in the door that um, some of our competitors don't get because they know that they'll come in kind of pushing their cart a little bit harder um, and maybe not recommending something that benefits the bigger picture.
0: Which, uh, you know, in in real respects, staying focused on your core ingredient of what you do well is the key to that because if you start to just try and get a, too much breadth and go across everywhere I mean you know energy is your core fundamental and that's what you're identified and and obviously after the the the, um, the coffee based product settles down then you get a feel a true gauge of what that is but that's that was really disruptive to try and to take that to market and 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 going with a solo partner is is i, I love the man i love the mantra though of being able to if you're going to break some bad news I, over time it does only get worse it doesn't get any easier so just you know just bite the bite you know, bite the you know, the bullet and just go and tell them. So, uh, no, that's great. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, I'm sure that again, your rise here at fruit predominantly, uh, you would have a lot of, uh, a lot of people that have worked with you and under you for a number of years mentoring. How do you find uh, and and mentoring? We've found along our talk with, with a number of guests, isn't something that it's not something you just sign up to. I mean, Businesses do try and do that, but yes. it's something you've got to be natural, it's got to be a bit of a fit. And you know, just to share with the listeners, your any of the mentors along your journey, um, and you know, some of the what you would you know, what are the tips you'd give to people that uh, are, um can be mentors and should be mentors?
2: Sure, um, I've, I've got so many, I, I couldn't even list the names out for you if I wanted to. I, I um, I'm always seeking. Um, advice and counsel from people so the official title of mentor I I think often um, feels a little overwhelming for people either being asked to be one or asking someone else to be a mentor can can be a a pretty big deal Um, but if you think about these people more as influencers and exactly that's what a mentor is um, then yeah I think I've had so many Um, Ken as you mentioned before was was definitely one in my my earlier years and another guy Brad Floyd um, who really just took time to to coach. Um, so what they taught me in the early days was, you know, that you've got to give back and if you invest time up front, it will save you time long term because I think a lot of people, it's just easy to get in and do it yourself sometimes when yeah. you've done it before, but you'll have to do it yourself forever more, right? Um, both Brad and Ken, you know, really spent a lot of time over-indexed to sort of get me up to speed so that I could then help them later on and and I still try and do that today for others um uh, another guy Cam Davidson who's our, our marketing director here he was a pretty big mentor for me because he gave me really direct feedback <laughs> which uh you know sometimes there would be tears in my eyes after one of our sessions but he, he was he, what he said to me was it's harder for me to give you this feedback than it is for you to receive it because you'll learn from it it'll mean something for you and then you can progress but you know, I've been awake for three nights before this thinking about how do I word it? And, you know, it's a big deal for me to give you this feedback. So, um, I thought that was a really great piece of advice as well as, you know, you do people a favor by helping them and, um, giving that feedback. So, um, yeah, that, they were a couple of my early mentors. What, what I look for now, um, when people ask me to be a mentor is trying to get really specific about what it is you want me to help you with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, rather than having a mentor, um, why don't you have somebody that you go to if you've got a people issue or, um, you know, if you're working on some financial stuff and you really want to engage with the best person who you know is great with numbers, well, then they can be your mentor for that particular topic. But trying to cast someone as your one mentor, I think, can be um, a little hard to find a match. Whereas when you break it up like that, then there's so many people um, that, you know, that you can access, and they would never say no. Like, I've never had anyone say, No, I don't want to help mm. you. You know, you ask someone just, Well, can you help me with this particular issue? It's really hard for you to turn that down. Whereas, if I asked you to be my mentor, you're probably thinking, Well, I'm super busy and I don't know if I can invest the time, etc. So, um, chunking it up a little bit gives you access to a lot more people. Um, but ultimately, my philosophy is that's what we're here for, right? Yeah, We're here to make a difference and you make a difference through other people as much as you do from the products or the plans or the, you know, sales plans you put in place. Um, and, you know, you've, you've been given that teaching by someone else and it's just only right that you would pass that on and spend time with with somebody else. Um, we started, a girlfriend and I, Kerry uh, through I started uh, Women In Convenience. Oh, five years ago now, I think it is. Um, and that was really all about the exact same thing, trying to give back what other people had given us and giving us opportunities and um, kind of acknowledging diversity in their um, talent appointments. Um, so we started this, this women's networking group with the sponsorship of Axe um, to try and create those same connections and give people the opportunity to try and find their mentors in a more like-minded room. Um, and it's still going really strong today and, and lots of people wanting to be engaged. And, and a number of people have said to me that's where they've found somebody else to kind of be their inspiration. So, um, yeah, I, I love it. And I think sometimes the terminology of mentor um, limits how much you can use it.
1: And what about, uh, I love the whole concept of reverse mentoring where I think it was IDEO, the, the innovation company from the US, um, the, the managing director said, "You know, he looks for reverse mentoring because there's so much to learn from, say, 25-year-olds." Um, you know, do you embrace that concept of sort of reverse mentoring, or have you got some young people in your life who are not saying that you're old? Um, have you got young people in your life who, who are old? No, yes, mate. you
2: are. Yes, you are. Okay, we've done the
0: dinosaur thing, mate. And Caroline's not in the dinosaur category,
2: not like you and I. I mate. I get that. I get that. I I actually haven't overtly and it's a really good point because I think it is so true. Um, You know, you learn from everybody and I think sometimes the um, more bold opinions come from those who haven't been there and done that because they, they don't sort of, they're not, jaded by experiences that have been before them so um yeah I think you can learn so much from everyone and, and I would say of the people who've asked me to be a mentor I would learn as much from them as they would from me because um, when they tell me about their challenges and what they want support with you know that I, I will be thinking about that for days later and you know processing that and um, turning that into a learning for myself so um yeah I think it's a great great concept and you've reminded me I should do it more overtly <laughs> so just
1: building on that um
2: you know if you look back at the carolina
1: bridge that you know from marketing to sales and you started off in that in that sales capacity if you could go back to that person now what advice would you give that person
2: oh dear uh gosh so (laughs) i think i think probably no shoulder pads no i didn't know i wasn't in that um (laughs) I think, I think probably jump. Um, There were some decisions I didn't make because I was nervous that I wasn't ready um, or that I didn't have all the skills that it would take to, to give it a shot. Um, And, you know, I think I've missed out on those experiences because I think you learn the most when you step outside of your comfort zone, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, it's so true. Um, you know, stepping the biggest challenges I've had, you know, coming from marketing over to sales or, um, you know, going overseas and not knowing anyone or that's when you really learn and you really have the best um, positive experiences on the other side because they were harder, you know, when they had to work harder for them, they feel better.
0: Well, they're true disruption. They really are because you're Mm. really disrupting yourself and not just from a career but from a personal point of view. So it's a big impact.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think jump and Jamie and I were just talking before that I think a lot of the young people um, that I work with, um, I'm seeing increasing amounts of anxiety or depression or, you know, self doubt. Um, And it's really, it's really sad um, that people are putting those limitations on, uh, you know, on their opportunities, because I think, um, you know, when you are uncomfortable, when you feel sad, when you um, are going through these tough times, that pushing through them is what makes us amazing human beings that have all these experiences. So, um, yeah, my advice would be relax. Don't worry about what other people think so much and just jump.
0: And, and to actually talk to others as well. I think, um, you know, I I do a fair bit of work and we'll talk about some of the charity stuff you do, uh, with, with at risk youths. um, whereby just sitting down and having it, being able to talk to someone about your problems, uh, helps you actually realize maybe they're not, um, as big as what they feel and the pressure that the, you know, the anxiety you feel from them. So, mm. you know, being able to sit down and, and I think we're all just get this brick wall up at different stages and we don't want to show vulnerability. So I would recommend any young, up-and-comers that they feel a bit overwhelmed or they've got a lot of anxiety yeah we also sl- we all sit up at, at, at you know at sleepless nights yeah. when we've got to when we've got to present to the board of directors tomorrow or or to a very big trade partner but that's that's natural it's like yes. going into a grand final you've got to have that nervousness but if it's overwhelmingly too nervous you need to speak to people and it doesn't have to just be mentors it can be family and friends you you got to you've got to ask those questions because it's amazing how someone else can simplify it for yes
2: you. Yeah. absolutely and once you start talking to people i think you realize that everybody yep. has those doubts and those challenges and you know we're all still making mistakes every single day so you know it's just part of it
1: Absolutely. so carolyn uh, uh, jamie and i uh we've often talked about you know when we we're both national account managers and i remember you know the oh, managing director those saying- days. <laughs> Way back in those days. Um, I remember the managing director saying to us that your sales strategy, your sales plan is just as important as the marketing strategy and the marketing plan. And what we've seen over time is that uh, the marketing sort of assumes that responsibility for strategy. Sales assumes the, you know, the role of execution. Um, Jamie and I, you know, we wrote a blog saying, you know, can marketing and sales be joined at the hip? Uh, and we got a lot of, you know, big response from that. You know, what are your views on how marketing and sales can be joined at the hip? Because without it, you know, the execution can be flawed.
2: Absolutely. Um, I think there is a lot of tension between those departments always. Um, and I've seen it, you know, Bayer, uh, HSBC, Frucore. um, it, it's, it is tension that can be really healthy. And if you allow it, it will actually lead you to a better result but I think we don't like tension and we often try and avoid that tension and that forces these kind of silos um, to the d- two departments. But really all we're doing when we're creating this tension is just coming from different viewpoints because often as salespeople, we're coming out at it thinking what our customers are going to say. Um, and as a marketer, you're thinking about what the consumer wants. So it's just a different view of the same thing we're trying to solve for. But ultimately, if you can answer all those concerns, then you're going to have a way better proposition that you you move forward with. Um, for me, one thing I've realized is that it's not about a baton passing um, over time. So I used to think that marketing were responsible for the beginning um, and they kind of designed everything and then passed it on to sales to execute. Um, it really doesn't work. Really doesn't work. Um, so for me, it's about one department maybe being a little more responsible for thinking about why and what that that um, idea is and then one department being more responsible for thinking about how um, but you've got to think about those right from the beginning to the end all together um, so marketing is still involved right up until launch and execution phase mm-hmm. and sales are very much involved right from the beginning of the idea um, so it's not a button change at all it's just about a um, slightly different perspective on the same conversation i think that's that helps to relieve tension
0: it needs to be intertwined from the word go so that there's everyone feels that they've all got a, a seat at the table and they're all making a difference otherwise you leave it too late and then oh hang on here's the bat and you well, hang on, i didn't i didn't create that i don't know where that well, that was your old baby not ours so yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely yeah absolutely So um, I was just going to uh, ask in terms of sales director. So you were head head of the impulse area here and uh, you're now the sales director. So that encompasses the whole of the sales department. Mm -hmm. Um, Grocery, your thoughts on grocery and where that's heading. I mean, Coles and Woolies have been such, uh, uh, I'll be the one, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider, so I can, I can, <laughs> I can say this, but yeah, they've, yeah, they've made it difficult for manufacturers. The margins aren't there, you know, even to, to be able to be in stores as, as present as what we were five and ten years ago, they, they, they've put a bit of, you know, a fair bit of strain on that. And, you know, what's your thoughts about some of the new uh, comers into the grocery space, uh, your Aldis and the likes?
2: I think the more competition, the better. Um, I think, you know, we all, um, innovate and push ourselves, um, to offer the customer or the consumer something better at the end of the day when we're under duress. So, you know, <laughs> the more limited we can make the duopoly, I think the better in terms of that experience for the ultimate shopper. Um, I think, My view on grocery is that it is definitely where the market is going. So I think whether we like it or don't like it, you know, we're in this business together and and you can try and avoid um, supermarkets or you can actually get in and partner with them. And, you know, I've certainly taken the decision that I want to do the latter Um, because when we look at um, the outlet numbers and consolidation of independence and, um you know grocery trying to expand beyond supermarkets and get more into the convenience space there's so much that the data tells you that these guys are in it for the real long haul so you have to step up to the plate i think you've got to figure out how to work with with customers um my experience so far is only relatively new on the grocery space but my experience is when you can understand what they're trying to achieve you're actually more aligned than you think yeah uh, it's um it's trying to get that detail of exactly why they're trying to achieve what they're trying to achieve. That's a little tricky sometimes. So the whole closed-door policy, we don't answer our phone, we're not telling you what our plans are. How, how can that lead to a great outcome at the end of the day? Um, I've, I've had some really good experiences with retailers where that hasn't been the case. Um, so um, hopefully that we're seeing that change.
1: No, I, I definitely I fully embrace... What Caroline was saying—that uh, I mean, it's an in- inevitable situation—I remember. You know, I've, I come from the alcohol industry, where you know, it was felt that you know, grocery the Coles and Woolworths only had fifteen percent of the of the share of their business, and that was going to be you know, stay status quo, and it, it dramatically changed. Where I think it's definitely over fifty percent now. So I think you've got to embrace that challenge, um, Caroline. In terms of other challenges for sales uh, over the next ten years, what what do you see?
2: I think probably it is it is hard to to get a um, like to turn a dollar for sure for, for all of us um, so you know competing for shoppers money um, in a constrained environment where you know housing prices and limited wage growth and and that dynamic is going on you have to work harder to um, articulate value for people to to part with their hard-earned money um, so I think it's not just about, I, often people say, I build a display. If it's within an arm's reach, people are going to buy it. So, like, well, yeah, that's a little bit of the story, but it's certainly not the majority of the story. I mean, We're we all um, constantly battling how much money we have to spend on the things that we want. So um, I think businesses are going to need to work really hard to make sure that they're articulating why you should part with your money for stuff and more so in the future than than they have in the past. Um, I think one of the dynamics that I see um, more as a challenge on a day to day basis is is the time that customers have to engage with you they're super busy they're under a lot of pressure um, they're under margin pressure just like we are um, so you know the opportunity to work on an idea with them over weeks or months is is very limited often they don't know very much about the categories they run because They're off across such a broad base of suppliers and various dynamics. So, I think it just puts more pressure on us as um, FMCG salespeople to make sure when you go to that customer that you are ticking every box and making it as easy as possible for them to say yes with limited um, work required after that. That fact. So, um, I think customer service as a mindset, as opposed to a function, that is going to be more relevant than ever. Um, as we move forward to make things easy for people to say yes to.
0: Some of the, your personal uh, journeys as well, stuff that you do outside of work. Um, so you're part of the CEO uh, uh, cook-off, is it one, one of the fundraisers that you do work for? Or? I am,
2: I am. I'm sitting here in my uh, my shirt ready to go. It's actually today. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, we partnered with OzHarvest yep. um, a couple of years ago. We've been looking for a charity partner for a long time as a business actually and uh, the – Um, you know the the fit between their organization and ours we just thought was a really great fit Um, Ronnie Kahn's a amazing entrepreneur of her own mindset but um, what they do in terms of recycling food and or they don't call it recycling um, you know redeploying great food that can um, facilitate free meals for people is a really powerful charity so we've partnered with them a couple of years ago and um, for the last two years, I've been involved with the what they call the CEO cook-off um, and we we go along, raise money for a, a few months in advance and we go along and tonight there'll be 1,500 people um, who've been given the opportunity to come to this incredible event, um, many of whom, you know, will get picked up on a bus, taken to a barber for a free haircut, given a shower, some nice new clothes, who wouldn't have had that for months, if not years, um, and they get to have this kind of crazy night out with a, a good concert and some beautiful food um, every chef that you could possibly imagine all the ones on television are there, and they all have a little stand um, and we basically compete to cook a certain um course in the in the meal for a group at the table a group of the people at the at the function so it's a really fun event um, it's a great opportunity to engage with people that um have have a pretty tough life gives you some good perspective over your challenges when you meet these people. Um, but, um, yeah, it's an amazing charity and just one that I think was a good fit for us. But, um, what it has shown me is how much joy you can get personally from giving back to others. So I know you're really heavily involved, Jamie, Mm. with with your charity work and, um, something I'd like to do more and more of, um,
0: yeah no, and uh, all the best for tonight and your cook off. Thank and you. Uh, I don't show the uh, the uh, the professionals up too much um, out there. But, <laughs> oh, uh, I
2: won't. I won't. My cooking skills extend to ordering online, so uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, uh, highly challenged. And a,
0: yeah, congratulations to Fruit Course and Tori and and, and uh, Oz Harvest for the work that they do and the money you guys have raised. So uh, thank look, you. Look. Um, uh, once again look' amazing to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, you are an inspiration to many women out there that uh, that believe that they can get to the uh, you know to the heights of the sales director CEO managing director level within the corporate and and we, and we need more of that and we do need more of it because uh, you know uh, um, times have changed it certainly isn't the the male behemoth as mark would call it <laughs> back in the dinosaur era so you know it's it's great and it's very refreshing to see you know someone like yourself come through from the ground up and uh and to be heading up uh, one of the you know, one of the most innovative and disruptive uh, beverage brands out there so uh thanks jamie it's uh, it's great mark uh, anything to uh sign off uh, uh with caroline
1: I don't think I can add more to that. Uh, you did a wonderful job there. But, uh, Caroline, it's, uh, it's been fantastic chatting with you and it's, it's really refreshing to hear uh, some of your viewpoints on career progression and personal disruption. So thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you very much.
0: Well, Mark, uh, mate, that, was, uh, uh, that, that, that hour went really quick, eh? uh It was really good to, to speak to uh, Caroline. And, um, you know, what were some of the key takeouts for you, mate?
1: I think firstly, you know, just her philosophy on taking the right risks. I think, you know, she mentioned, you know, her her mantra of being off the grid, uh, that, you know, she will really look at different ways of upsetting the status quo. I think playing to distinctive strengths was something that I think Fruitcore really benefited from, that, you know, yes, they are in the, the same sort of category as Coca-Cola and other behemoths like Pepsi and Schweppes, but they'll really focus on what they do well and what they do well as energy. And from a personal point of view, I think just her willingness to sort of step back to grow. You know, she started in marketing. She probably was flourishing in marketing, but came back into the sales field. And now, again, she's the sales director of one of the Australia's leading companies. So just that willingness, I think, uh, would really resonate with a lot of our listeners. What about yourself? Yeah,
0: mate. Um, look, definitely uh, the hustle. I uh, love the hustle. Um... Uh, that really takes me back. I used the uh, the wording uh, on one of our breaks. You know, um, there is another term we used to use back in the routing route days of the bulldog mentality. Uh, I think someone might have tagged me with that at different stages, but uh, <laughs> I think a better word. Caroline's created a better word for me. The hustle. It is about hustle. It is about coming up and thinking. Uh, outside the box, particularly when you are uh, and thinking on your feet, and that's what really being able to to hustle and and, and, and get through and solve problems. So uh, that that was one that really resonated. Look, uh, she's been uh, obviously very instrumental in uh, instrumental in the ACTS and uh, Women in Convenience is also still a you know a director on the board of acts, uh, the Australian Association of Convenience Stores. Um, you know, headed up by Jeff Roget, um, which is which you know is great testament to her to continue to to be part of that voluntary role and uh and giving back to the convenience channel and, and certainly inspiring other women and uh, young you know young up-and-coming ladies to 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 really put their f- best foot forward uh, in this industry and um thirdly mate uh definitely partnering with uh, the retailers uh it was it was good to hear her, her thoughts on, on 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 partnering with the retailers and you know even uh you know when talking about uh, you know their their disruption with um, uh, going into uh, the coffee-based uh, V product and, you know, being aligned with uh, Seven Eleven as a launch platform. Um, you know, t- you know it- I love the, um, the fact that, uh, you know, don't, uh, um, you know, if you're going to tell someone bad news, you might as well get it out of the way straight away. So uh, that's definitely something that uh, definitely uh, resonated with me. So so i'd like to uh, i'd really like to thank our guest uh, caroline Waite, for uh for being part of our
1: uh, podcast today we certainly couldn't have done it without uh, without the production expertise of our young gun blake Lambina.
0: and many thanks goes to our creative partner and may and uh, from ant designs australia's leading uh, uh digital agency and uh and website designer and next week, we'll be hearing from one of our uh, other uh, FMCG icons uh, here and uh, and and hearing their story about what's uh, what's their journey been and uh, and what their plans are and what they see for the industry moving forward. I'm really looking
1: forward to that. So to next week.